0: Let's pray as we come to God's Word uh, to look at it this morning, to listen to Him. Father God, we thank You that You're the God of the universe. You're the God who made the the universe and and flung the stars into space and created the earth, and that You're the God who is creator, but You're the God also whose grace is enough for us. A God whose grace is with us uh, by Your presence with us, by Your your Holy Spirit uh, and Your living Word. So, Father, as we gather around Your Word this morning, we thank you for your grace. And we pray that as you speak to us, you would pour your grace into our hearts, and in doing so, we would just be compelled by your love to respond to your word. So, Lord, give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, lips to praise you, hearts to respond to you today. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, this morning we're continuing in our uh, Deeply Connected series. Uh, and, and this series we've been looking at, we've been unpacking a little bit our, our one of our vision priorities, uh, Deep Connections. Uh, and that is growing as God's family uh, and, and marked by hospitality, authenticity, and deeply committed relationships. Uh, I was given the, the, the title, Generosity, and this Bible passage uh, and this is the last chapter um, of, of the first letter to Corinth, uh, of Paul's letter to Corinth, uh, and the context for it is, is markedly interchurch church and, and international. So I've given my talk the title, A Global Gospel Generosity, and perhaps more particularly Generosity Amongst the Churches. But well, let's read uh, from God's Word now. Uh, it's, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, and we're reading... Uh, from uh, Paul's letter. Paul writes from Ephesus. He's in Ephesus at the time when he writes this letter. He writes the letter to the church in Corinth uh, and he writes, we pick it up uh, at 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says this. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, So that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you for what I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition." The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Well, as I said, the, the, this um, title I've given today was the, the global generosity and uh, the generosity amongst the churches particularly. And, and this generosity is a direct response to the grace and the goodness of God and for what He's done for His church, for us. You see, in the previous, we, we start here, but in the previous chapter, In the last verses of the previous chapter, Paul sets out the whole motivation, the whole reason for the church being in existence at all. And it is to live out and proclaim this wonderful gospel message, the message of life, life in Jesus. You see, Paul writes, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and the last few verses, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, death, is your victory? Where, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the wonderful good news of the gospel, that by the death and resurrection of Jesus, sin and death have been defeated. By Jesus' death on the cross, we have forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation to the Father who loves us. By Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we have life. Life in all its fullness. New life. Eternal life as we trust in Him. This is the good news of the gospel. And so, from its small beginnings, amongst a few people in Jerusalem, it had exploded out across the the, the, the whole area, carried by this new Jesus movement, empowered by the Holy Spirit just as Jesus said it would be as he poured out his Spirit on that day of Pentecost. And here we get a glimpse of those first years of the church, and we have much to learn from it. You see, as we've looked at this deeply connected series over the the past few weeks, we've looked at being deeply connected with God, and we've looked at being deeply connected with one another. And I guess today's passage, it forces us to look at being more deeply connected to the wider church, to the wider church and to God's mission in the world. For in in 1 Corinthians 16, we see a church which is both international and interdependent, international and interdependent. For in these verses, uh, Paul mentions at least five Roman provinces. In verse 1, Galatia, verse 3, Judea, verse 5, Macedonia, verse 15, Achaia, and verse 19, Asia. And these different provinces and regions, they reflect five very different diverse places, different places and people, cultures, and conditions. In these five regions, we see church members from European and Eastern, from Jewish and Arab, from Roman and Greek, from urban and rural backgrounds. You see, within just a couple of decades from its its birth in Jerusalem at Pentecost, in the 30s AD, we see the church has spread out over all these areas of the Roman Empire. And we see in these verses the the wonderful mobility of the early church as it spread across the Mediterranean world and uh, of the first century proclaiming salvation, proclaiming life in Jesus. We see that God, again, in His perfect timing and in His sovereignty, He launched His rescue plan, His rescue mission at a time when the effectiveness of the Roman Empire was at its height. Roman roads provided a great network for traveling throughout the provinces. The Pax Roma, the peace of Rome, ruled supreme. Roman legions ensured that travel was relatively safe. And Greek, the language of the New Testament, was the language of the people in those days. The common everyday language. And so the vision and the commitment of of the early Christians, of men and women, of, of, of singles and marrieds, of businessmen and missionaries, businesswomen and evangelists, they had, it had produced a church that took full advantage of the systems around it. And this interdependence of the network of churches was expressed in a number of different ways. And it's a model of church that is as relevant for us today as it was then. It's a model of church that's networking and sharing, that's connected and committed, and through which God is very much still at work today. You see, in this chapter we see a generous sharing of both money and ministry. In verses uh, 1 to 4, the church shared its financial resources. The chapter begins with Paul expressing his heartfelt concern for the church in Jerusalem. Paul was burdened with the needs of the congregation there, which had been facing material and financial hardship for some time due to a famine in the region. And in all of the churches that Paul had a connection, he stressed the opportunity, the privilege, the responsibility to meet the needs of fellow struggling congregations. For this was a great practical way of binding congregations, cementing relationships between churches, between people from different backgrounds. And so in verses 1 and 2, in order to regularize this collection for the church in in Jerusalem, Paul encouraged the Corinthians to set aside a regular amount each week as he had instructed the church in Galatia. We see a pattern developing. He makes reference to the first day of the week, shows that Paul regarded our offering as an integral part of our weekly worship, which happened on the first day of the week on the Sunday. And the amount was determined by the the believer in relation to their their income in response to how God had blessed them and provided for them throughout the week. But the fact here as well that Paul instructed each one of you, it indicates that regardless of our income, that each one of us is called to regular, planned, and systematic giving. Sharing our financial resources is one way of demonstrating our deeply connected interdependence within the body of Christ. This chapter, also, we also see here that another way in which the church is called to share is in its personnel. In verses 5 to 19, the church shared its financial resources, the church shared its human resources. In verses 5 to 7, we see of how Paul shared his own life with them in, in his itinerant ministry. In verses 10 to 11, we, we read of an imminent visit to Corinth by Timothy, his colleague Timothy. And, and this, you know, would have come as a, at a cost to Timothy, because Timothy was apparently a, quite a sensitive, a nervous, uh, and hesitant minister. But Paul clearly saw that he had something to offer, something to bring to Corinth, and so he, he encourages him to look after Timothy and, and, and to send, them, send him on his way with their blessing when a work around them is completed, a work among them is completed. And then we see also in verse 12, Paul refers to Apollos, who according to Paul writing in Acts chapter 18, had already been of assistance to the church in Corinth. And though he wasn't ready to visit with them again just then, he will go and visit with them when again when he has the opportunity. And this help and this aid was, you see, a very much a two-way thing. For we see here in verses 17 and 18 Paul states that he himself had been greatly supported by Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. And one, one other reference here that highlights this important interdependence of the, the churches. Verses nineteen, he, he writes, "The churches of the province of Asia send their greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord." You see, this couple had been of immense importance in nurturing the church in at least three different centers in Rome, in Ephesus, and in Corinth. They evidently traveled around quite a bit, but wherever they set up home, wherever they set up home, they, 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 they clearly practiced the gift of hospitality. For it tells us here that the church meets in their house. And you know, hospitality is such an important and effective ministry in the church. And then, such giving receive, and receiving of ministry amongst churches from different cultures has much to encourage and to challenge us today. Because in particular here in the West, we have been, I guess for the last couple of centuries, we've been on the, the, the sending end of sending missionaries and ministers and, and resources. But today we're increasingly learning how to be receiving people, bringing their own experiences, their own insights, their their gifts, their spiritual riches to us, reminding us that we are indeed a truly global family. So we see in these verses a church which is international and interdependent. We also see a church, as Paul writes, a church which faces opportunities and oppression. In verse 9, Paul writes, a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Paul is describing here his experience during the two and a half years that he spent in Ephesus. And he sets that out. We can read about it in Acts chapters 19 and 20. And it's from Ephesus, as I said, that he has written this letter to the Corinthians. But Paul spent longer in Ephesus than he did anywhere else. One of the main reasons for it was because of the the numerous openings, the the opportunities to share the gospel that he had been given. Acts 20 tells us that he he preached the gospel there daily, proclaiming the good news of of grace and forgiveness and new life. It says he preached it both in the, the public square and from house to house. Preached it to both Jews and Gentiles. And there was this great spread of the gospel out across Asia because of Paul's teaching and preaching and ministry. In Acts 20, in his farewell remarks to the elders of the Ephesian church, At Miletus, Paul speaks of the sacrificial and costly but fruitful and productive ministry that he had amongst them. So, where is God giving us, you and me, where is He giving us opportunities perhaps to share the gospel in our everyday lives by what we say, by what we do? Let us be aware. Let us be intentional. Let us be taking those opportunities, thinking of how we might serve God and His church best. And you see, whilst Paul and the church enjoyed great opportunities for the gospel in Ephesus, he and they also faced great opposition. Uh, Luke, writing in Acts chapter 19, he tells us that the opposition to the gospel came from three different areas at that time. Firstly, from evil powers, And this had led to some very dramatic experiences for Paul, culminating in in a public bonfire when books of magic arts, which were widely practiced in Ephesus at that time, these books were consigned to the flames by new converts who no longer wanted to use them. And we too must remember that we are in a spiritual battle. We must put on the whole armor of God, as Paul tells us in Ephesians. We must put that on every day. And we must also, you know, consign to the bonfire, so to speak, any books or literature or media which would be leading us into sin, which would be stopping us in our walk with the Holy Spirit. The second source of opposition to Paul in Ephesus was a more practical one. It was from the local guild of silversmiths, it tells us, led by a man called Demetrius. You see, the effect of the spread of the gospel was so powerful that the silversmiths who made these little silver statues for the, for the, the people that people would buy little silver statues of Artemis to, to worship in their homes, but they were turning from the statues to the one true living God. And so business had gone into decline for the silversmiths. Business had gone into decline, and they went into a rage, and they grabbed Paul and the Christians, and they took them, and they lynched them in the amphitheater. Likewise, today, wherever the gospel is preached and the Spirit is moving, it challenges idolatrous behavior. It has an economic impact on both individuals and the wider community. So, do we have any material gods or gods of materialism in our homes that we need to deal with? The third source of opposition to the church was, was, was from the Jewish leadership representing the, the religious hierarchy of the day. You know, the, the history of the church shows, unfortunately, that, that often great strategic opportunity has been resisted by leadership of, of church, official leadership. But so, please be praying for all of our leaders of every denomination that we will be obedient to the Word and in step with the Spirit in these days. And I guess one of the lessons Paul learned was that, and we can learn that when we have opportunities, we'll often have opposition. And probably because we have opposition, it just goes to show that we're doing something right, something that is counter-cultural, something that is kingdom-carrying. So, we see a church and an international, which is international and interdependent, a church which faces opportunities and opposition, and thirdly, we see a church which has resources and responsibilities. Resources and responsibilities. From our, our Bible reading, we see Paul's insistence on the Corinthians' responsibilities to share their financial and human resources. Resources. We see how Priscilla and Aquila shared their home by practicing hospitality, (laughs) making it available for use by the church. But one insightful and telling comment on such sharing of resources comes in verse 15, where Paul writes, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins the work and labors at it. You see, Stephanus and his entire family have made themselves available to serve the church. They devoted themselves to it, and devoted means to be completely given over. They were all in. They were all in. And all who give themselves to the work of the kingdom and to laboring and in the harvest field are commended here by Paul. I think it's lovely that Paul tells us that the whole family of Stephanus are serving the Lord. That's adults and children. And you see, this resource is available in every church, in every congregation. Adults and children serving the Lord together in their different ways, reaching different people. But there is a responsibility for us to to be equipped and to be available to serve the Lord, whatever age and stage we're at, for witnessing, for upbuilding the church and for witnessing in the world and for giving God the glory. For this, such a desire for growth, both numerically and spiritually, is always in Paul's heart and at the forefront of his mind. For in his instructions here in verses 13 and 14, he summarizes the responsibility that every Christian has. He says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. So this morning we've learned, we've been reminded, we've had it underlined for us from God's Word, that the church is indeed international and interdependent. The church faces both opportunities and opposition. And the church has both resources and responsibilities. So how are we to respond to these facts? Well, we acknowledge, firstly, we acknowledge and we celebrate the geographical breadth and the ethnic diversity of the church. From a couple of disciples meeting with the resurrected Christ on that first Easter morning, the church has become a family of millions and millions of believers on mission, worshiping, serving God in every single nation on earth. And made up of people from every tribe and tongue, nation and language. We acknowledge, too, that we are dependent on one another, both as individuals and as congregations, working in partnership in the gospel with one another. And we acknowledge our connection with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, and we will want to celebrate and deepen those connections. We do that firstly by praying. Uh, and we, you receive in your Friday email, you receive links to um, under uh, little tabs on the email to pray local and, uh, and pray global. And that takes you to PCI's Let's Pray newsletter and, uh, and to our own mission subgroup, uh, Prayer Letter. And I know that many of you also are signed up to receive prayer letters from different churches and ministries and missions and are praying faithfully for them. So we start by prayer, by praying. And you know this, um, this connecting and supporting of, of other congregations is a, it's, it's a great thing that we that we, we see and we practice in even within our own denomination. We see churches pairing up and partnering uh, in resources and sharing together. So we, let's be praying for those churches. Let's be by secondly by giving. One of the ways we do this as a congregation, and that most of us, uh, most of you contribute to, is the United Appeal for Mission. And most of you in your giving already um, contribute to this United Appeal. But the United Appeal is, is something perhaps that we, we could be better informed on. So we just want to spend a little bit of time sharing with you around that this morning. Because through our United Appeal for Mission Giving, it, it, it uh, contributes towards the, our denomination's United Appeal. I want to highlight this because it, it's a great way that the Presbyterian churches in Ireland network together. We network for mission, mission in the gospel, sharing resources, sharing responsibilities across the city, across the island, across the world. The United Appeal is at the very heart of of PCI. Every aspect of the church's mission depends to some extent on the United Appeal. It supports projects, programs, staff at home and overseas. It helps congregations and individuals to advance God's kingdom through youth and children's ministry, social action, training of leaders, for example. It supports the production of different resources and and material that encourages people to grow in their faith as disciples so the good news of the gospel is shared. The United Appeal is a huge ministry, a huge ministry showing God's love in action to thousands of people through the generosity and the sacrificial giving of people like yourselves from all across Ireland. Just drawing your attention to uh, some of the things that are on the, the little leaflet there. Your giving to the United Appeal helps support 21 global mission workers in nine countries, 25 global mission partners in 21 countries, 62 home and urban mission congregations, 17 community outreach workers, four Irish mission workers, 46 chaplains working in hospitals, prisons, universities, and armed forces, 18 ministry students, 22 assistant ministers, over 240 accredited preachers now trained. It supports 14 deaconesses deaconesses working in congregations and hospitals, local communities. Over 3,500 members have taken part in taking care training. And it provides over 440 bed spaces in residential, nursing, sheltered housing, supported housing, and student accommodation. That's what our United Appeal helps to support and provide, to show God's love, His grace. And as as partners in this, as a congregation last year, we contributed almost £26,000 to the United Appeal, with a total of over £117,000 going from Orangefield sent by you to support other congregations and missions around the world, locally and globally. And so we want to thank you for your continued generosity, for your continued generous giving to ministry and mission in and from this place. Networking enables us to network and partner in the gospel, both at home and overseas. So just as I finish, we celebrate, we deepen our connections with other parts of the church, by praying, by giving, and thirdly and finally, by going. By going. Go is the most repeated command in the Bible. God sends those of us who are able to go, to go for Him. And it might be to the other side of the room, or it might be to the other side of the world. But God's people are, by definition, going people. We are going people. From the end of the pew to the end of the earth, we share our human resources by going. And I know that many of you have, for instance, been on short-term mission trips locally or globally in the past or supported uh, the work of other congregations and the wider church with your time, your talents in some other way. But I I guess just now is a good time to be thinking ahead to the summer about what we might be doing over those summer months. Last year, we had people serve on a a whole range of short-term mission teams, everything from from JAM right here in the building, the street reach out right on the streets to, to further afield with PCI or CISM or CEF teams up on the, the North Coast or other places, working with groups like Exodus in various parts of Europe or IAM Cares in India. And there are, of course, many short-term and indeed longer-term opportunity available for ministry and mission. I guess I, I also want to draw to your attention again the opportunity for full-time uh, and part-time ministry and mission within the Presbyterian Church, and also to that ministry taster day in Union College on the 16th of March. More details in your email or speak with myself about any of these things if you'd like to do that. So where might God be calling you to go in His service? Short term, for a longer term, for a lifetime Maybe. To explore some of the possibilities, why not check out the PCI website or the websites of any of the myriad of churches, missions, uh, and ministry organizations? Have a chat with someone who has been away or someone who is in, 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 in paid gospel ministry or come and, and have a chat with myself. So, in what way, we ask ourselves as we finish, in what way can we be more deeply connected with the wider church? And better practice this global gospel generosity, this generosity amongst the churches that we see here expressed in 1 Corinthians 16, and to which we, the church in Belfast, are called today. Who is God calling you to pray for? Who is God calling you to give to? Who is God calling you to go to? Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your church and for our connections. We see from your word that your church is indeed international and interdependent. That she faces opportunities and opposition. And that we are called to share resources and responsibilities. So, Father, we thank you for the, the, the wonderful privilege that it is to be part of your church. Part of your church blood-bought, spirit-filled and word-shaped church, body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you for what it cost you in sending your Son when I survey the wondrous cross. Lord, when we survey that wondrous cross, That love, that mercy, that grace that you give us, it demands our all. Our lives, our souls, our all. So in response to your great love for us, would you help us to pray, help us to give, help us to go? in a moment, just now, we ask you, Lord, would you reveal to us who you want each of us individually and personally to be praying for? Who do you want me to be praying for? Who do you want each of us to be giving to? Who do you want us to be going to? And we take a moment in God's presence and in the silence to ask those questions and to receive his answer. Father, would you continue to speak your word, to pour out your spirit, to build your church until your glory is everywhere. Help us to trust and obey. For we pray these things for your glory alone, in the power of your Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings. Amen. Amen.